Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast. This is your host, the OG Rob Silva. Today, first, as Patreon listeners have already listened, this is for the free feed, you will hear the immediate reaction, both Garrett Gonzalez, the CEO of Fight Game Media Network, and myself had after the just minutes after Alexander Usyk's victory over Anthony Joshua. After you hear our rundown of that fight and what the future lies for both fighters, I will come back and run down the fights that occurred on Showtime and ESPN, another Q&A session, and then I will read my historical overview on my 26th greatest fighter of the last 45 years, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. First, Garrett and I discuss Usyk Joshua 2. And I'm joined by the CEO of the Fight Game Media Network, the Ron Darling of professional wrestling, Garrett Gonzalez. And, to, and tonight we on this special Patreon uh, edition of the Fight Game Media Pound for Pound podcast, we are talking about the fight that just ended out in Saudi Arabia between Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua for the WBA, uh, IBF, WBO, Ring Magazine, XYZ, HBO, <laughs> The Zone Heavyweight Championship of the World. What's up, big man? Hey, I'm I'm excited. I was uh, I've, I haven't we haven't done anything like this in a little while, and it's kind of a little bit of a appetizer because we're going to do some more stuff soon, and we'll talk about that later in the show. But yeah, I was kind of excited. You know, I am out of the how can I say it? I'm out of watching a lot of the weekly boxing, even the ESPN Plus cards. Uh, same with UFC, actually, because I'm doing so much stuff with wrestling. That wow, I just, you're I just a don't... huge UFC fan. Now, I know with boxing, you've fallen off because for those who don't know, Garrett runs the Fight Game Media Network along with Justin Nipper. They do a phenomenal job putting content out there, not only on the website, fightgamemedia.com, but the, the, the podcast, both on the Patreon and the free feed. And Garrett is all over. I mean... Garrett is covering pro wrestling like he's Walter Cronkite right now. He's all <laughs> he's all over the place. So, but I'm surprised because UFC. When I first met you, Garrett, a decade ago, you yeah. you you were heavily into UFC more than professional wrestling, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, I was at like when I first started Fight Game Media, it was going to be like heavy UFC based, and then I realized that there weren't enough people who wanted to write about it or wanted to talk about it, but there was a lot of people who still were into pro wrestling. So we kind of made it a little bit of a hybrid. And then I was like, well, if we're going to make it a hybrid, it might as well bring in boxing. Cause I love boxing mm -hmm. just as much as those other two. And honestly, like if you were to ask me, you know, let's say for instance, we have uh, next month, we have triple G and Canelo. Right. If that, let, let's just say all three companies went head to head. If it was Triple G and, and Canelo, then there was a big UFC card, and then there was like Survivor Series or something. Right, right. I would choose the boxing card. Like that. Like it's just I have a harder time keeping up with the week to week because a uh, pro, big the big time prize fighting is still some of my favorite 
sports events. Right. It's just the weekly boxing fights where, you know, there, there's not there's not heavy marketing. There's not heavy advertising. There's not a big fight feel. I have fallen off from a lot of that. And it's unfortunate because I do enjoy it so much. Um, but uh, thankfully, we have you because you're, you're the one but who that still is follows the, it. So that is the pro- one of the problems with boxing today is that too many of our great fighters are fighting guys that have no business being in the ring with them, right? And so, the ca- well, you're not a casual fan. You've been a boxing fan since the 80s, all right? Yeah. Uh, Garrett began watching boxing in 1984, 1985. He was a huge Alexis Arguello fan. Uh, he Hagler, Sugar Ray Leonard, he he watched them all. Okay, Garrett is no young guy. He, I'm not going to say his age, but anyway, <laughs> he is younger than me, though. He is younger than me. Right? It's not too by a few years. Yeah, by, by a few years. But back in the '80s and '90s, the great fighters like a James Tony, Roy Jones, the Arguellos, the Haglers, the the Durants, when they did fight, you always had that big fight feeling. Because if even if they weren't fighting an elite fighter, they were fighting somebody that had a shot at beating them or was on the up and was was on was on a come up. Today, uh, today was the big first fight of the summer. Yeah. We're, 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 we've got what three weeks left in the summer. <laughs> and this is the first big fight of the summer because all the great fighters that have fought during the summer have fought guys that had no shot in the world. Teofimo Lopez was a huge draw. We did a show. Remember when he beat Vasily Lomachenko, you, I, and um, Carlos did a show. That was a huge, huge rating on ESPN, the whole nine. He fights a tomato can. I I know it's his first fight back, but come on. Let's stop with it. And um, if we do have, and I'm hearing that it's close to a done deal, Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford, you and I will come back. And then uh, Triple G Canelo depends on where you and I are at that night. Because if I'm with family because I might be going to the movie theater to see that fight with uh my nephew or my girlfriend's son then I won't be able to do it but definitely Crawford Spence if that fight happens we'll do it again you know the thing that I because I was thinking about this and I was thinking about why like there's there's more boxing on streaming right than there's been uh, on tv ever before right but why am I watching less? And you know what I think it is? I think it is HBO getting out of the game. Because mm. at there was a trust factor that I had with HBO that even if I didn't know if it was a big fight or not, because you had Lampley and because you had Larry Merchant, that sort of made it... Okay, the, the, there, there, there should be intrigue in this because if these guys are involved then there's probably a reason to watch. And, and I think that's really w- what it is, is no more HBO. And so now you really, really have to hunt and peck mm-hmm. to find, because ESPN Plus, you know, it's still a, it's still their third tier network. Right. And they're not doing heavy advertising for that stuff. This fight that we're going to talk about right now, so on the back burner when it came to, sports and marketing and advertising so much so that I had no idea how I was going to be able to watch this until last week 
when DAZN finally said, yeah, it's just going to be on the regular DAZN and there's going to be no upcharge. My guess, and, and you tell me because you followed this more closely, my guess is they just couldn't find no. a pay-per-view in, in the U.S., a carrier to, to participate with. Nobody, fight. nobody wanted to carry the fight, which I don't understand why. Now, I'm, I'm shocked this wasn't a pay-per-view fight. This was a regular DAZN subscription fight. This should have been a pay-per-view fight. We're talking... The two best heavyweights left, if you want to believe that Tyson Fury has retired again. We'll talk more about that later. Yeah. Uh, piggyback on what you said about HBO. HBO, like ABC did in the mid-70s to early 80s, always gave you that big fight feel with their primetime fights. In the history of boxing, three announcers gave you that big fight feel whenever they announced a fight. Don Dunphy, Howard Cosell, and Jim Lampley. They knew how to sell a fight. If you, and harking back to wrestling, you can compare that, make an analogy, wrestling, uh, Lance Russell, Jim Ross, and Gordon Soley. Whenever mm-hmm. they were announcing a match, you were like, they gave you that big-time feel. Since HBO left, you haven't had that, uh, Garrett. 1,000% you're correct. Because you know, when you had HBO, and then whenever HBO had a fight, you'd see it plastered throughout billboards, throughout whatever city you live in. And while watching The Sopranos or The Wire or whatever your favorite show was, there'd be in before the, the 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 episode and after the episode, they'd give you a big oh coming up Roy Jones Jr. next Saturday yeah. or two weeks. You don't have that with streaming services because unless you're watching the streaming service for something else, you're not getting that advertising. And it's and it's sad that Joshua Usyk too did not get that type of build. And also it has a lot to do with uh, Garrett, with the announcers today. The announcers today in boxing are putrid. I've said this over and over again on the podcast. When, when I first came on with you, when I wasn't doing uh, a podcast on your, on, your, on, your, on your network, the first time I came on your show, I told you about how horrible the boxing announcing is today. It, and you don't have that, and it affects the casual fan, because the casual fan, and you're not a casual fan, but I'm talking about somebody that's even less of a fan than you. They're like, oh, Anthony Joshua's fighting? I didn't know. How's now when he's fighting the best heavyweight in the world? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 was, it was really, I don't, I, I don't know who, who is to blame here. Uh, I, I would probably lean towards uh, blaming DAZN for not getting the deal done. But like you said, uh Usyk and Joshua, you're the heavyweight champion of the world. Now, he, obviously not not a U.S. based fighter, but still, he is so excellent mm-hmm. that if he's not being marketed correctly, it is not his fault. And the backstory, is- Garrett, his yes. country's in a war fighting for their lives, and he went exactly. and he went to help his country. Not nah, he wasn't on the battle battlefront, but he went there to support his country for several months. He took time out of boxing, both him and Vasilo Machenko, to help their country. And, and if you were a Joshua fan, or if you were a Joshua believer. Mm-hmm. That was part of the reason why you thought he may have been able to win the fight is because Usyk is dealing with real life stuff mm-hmm. that may have taken him out of the gym, you know, may have taken his eye off of the ball a little bit. But that was not the case tonight. No, it wasn't the case. It wasn't the case. And we, and we can get right into it, uh, uh, Garrett. Let's do it. All right. Uh, tonight, it just happened uh, less than an hour ago. Alexander Usyk retain his title with a split decision victory over Anthony Joshua. I didn't agree with Glenn Feldman's 115-113 scorecard, but Garrett, I could understand 
maybe why he came because the first six rounds, there were several rounds that were hard to choose. First four rounds, I had it even, but those it, it was hard to choose which fighter won the round because Josh was doing good work to the body, but Usyk was landing combinations. Um, I thought beginning with round five, Alexander Usyk began to pull away, and I gave him rounds five, six, and seven. So I'm, I had him up five to round eight. Joshua landed some heavy body shots that seemed to hurt Usyk, and so I gave Joshua that round, even though Usyk was still landing combinations. Then in round nine, Joshua had Usyk out on his feet, and I thought, oh, shit, could, could, could this happen? But Usyk, like many great fighters, Gary, over, they find a way to overcome adversity. He came straight out in the 10th round, and he attacked Joshua, and he hurt Joshua. Then Joshua hurt Usyk in what was the best round of the fight. And then I got I gave Usyk eleven and twelve. I had it one sixteen one twelve Usyk, um, in a very entertaining fight. It was mostly uh Garrett, a technical fight. Both men were trying to outbox the other. It wasn't uh two guys uh going out like the fight before that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I know Anthony Joshua gets criticized for being too passive, yeah, for being a gentleman. Uh, I understand that. He is who he is. I mean, he and he's a beautiful man outside the ring. No one has a bad word to say about Anthony Joshua. Everybody loves AJ. Um, Usyk has his number like Tyson Fury has Deontay Wilder's number. That that just that's just the way it is. Usyk knows exactly what to do in order to outbox and out hustle Anthony Joshua. But I, I tell you one thing, Usyk cannot do the same things he did tonight against a Deontay Wilder or a Tyson Fury because he got hit with too many right hands, just like in the first fight. And while Joshua has a great right hand, Fury and Wilder have greater right hands. But we will see. Alexander Usyk reminds me, Garrett, I call him the the Ukrainian Evander Holyfield. He finds a way to beat giants, and he does a lot of movement. Everything comes off that jab. He's like a southpaw Ukrainian version of Evander Holyfield, and the analogy is apropos because they both were undisputed cruiserweight champions, and Usyk's one went away from being undisputed heavyweight champion. And uh, Holyfield was there tonight, too. So oh, he's, I, I, and he, 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 he's a big admirer of Usyk, he, and he, he said it all along that Usyk reminds him of him. <laughs> the, I, I think our scorecards were almost the same. I, I think I gave Joshua one more round than you did. 115, 113, okay. Well, but, there, was, there was a several rounds that could have gone either way early on, so I could see that. I, 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 the thing that I thought was really fascinating was ju- there, there were moments, and you know what's, what's so great about boxing – one of the one of the things that's so great about boxing to me is they are vulnerable to the TV audience and to the live audience with every bit of their being. If you see their face, you you can get information from their face. Mm-hmm. And right right when you said right when Joshua started to figure things out. I looked at him and I was like, okay, like he's, he has, has realized that he's got something here. And then immediately Usek would change the game and then Joshua's face would change. And there was a moment, I think it was in the seventh round, maybe seventh round or so where the look on Joshua's face went from 
the, you know, I think I can win this fight to not again. And, and like Usyk, Usyk did such a great job of changing it when he needed to change it. And then it took Joshua a couple of rounds to, to get his rhythm back. But the thing that Joshua had is he was really, he was really confident and he was successful going to the body. Yes. And I was just watching this going like, okay, every time you hit this guy to the body, he feels it because I can see it in his face. I can especially, see it in his... Especially the hooks to the rib cage. And Usyk would kind of like... He, he, he would react and then he would go back you know, go back to the, to the ropes. And so, you know, there were moments where if you're a big Joshua fan, you were probably yelling at him, just go all out and see if you can put this guy on the ground because that's what you're going to need to, to, to pile up points to beat this guy. And he would kind of do it, but it looked like, and, and that this is really what I wanted your, your thoughts on, mm-hmm. because we've seen Joshua over the last few years where he gets a little cocky and he goes for the kill mm-hmm. and then he gets caught. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that was in the back of his mind, because I thought there were a couple of moments in this fight where he could have gone for the kill because Usyk was hurt and he was tiring because Joshua's such a big dude. Just mm-hmm. anytime Joshua hangs his body on poor Usyk, Usyk looks like he's, <laughs> you know, he's having the time of his life getting him off. And so he's just leaning on him. And so I was like, okay, let's see it. Uh, let it go. Let it go. But then there was a little bit of apprehension. And I, I thought, I don't know. I think this guy is worried about getting hit. You, you make a great point there, and I, I think you have, you, you're onto something. I also think that he knows that Usyk is a great fighter. Usyk is a great counterpuncher. And like in the ninth round, he had Usyk out on his feet, and he went all out. And when the bell saved Usyk, I think that took the air out of Joshua's bubble. In the tenth mm-hmm. round, Usyk went right at him. U- right back to the Evander Holyfield comparison, Gary. Whenever fighters thought they had Evander Holyfield hurt, whether it was Riddick Bowe or Lennox Lewis or Mike Tyson or George Foreman. He would come right back and throw rapid combinations and the other fighter and, and uh, Bowe, Foreman, etc. would be like, what the fuck? I just hit this guy with my best shots. <laughs> and uh, Joshua was leery at that because in their first fight, Joshua got hurt in the 12th round trying to go for the kill. Yeah. And in, in this fight, 10th round, Usyk comes out and he stuns Joshua early, and then Joshua's forced to fight, forced to fight, and then he hurts Usyk. But then Usyk comes back and hurts Joshua. And I think after the tenth round, even though Usyk was moving a lot, he had more in his tank than than um, Joshua. And then in the twelfth round, Joshua didn't care. He knew he was behind and he needed a yeah. knockout to win, and he went all out. But he was getting he was getting hit with counter after counter. I think that thought process of him trying to be careful went out the window because he was losing the fight. But I think in the first six, seven rounds, he didn't, you're right, he was going to the body, but I don't think he kept a more aggressive body attack because he's worried about getting counted because Anthony Joshua's biggest weakness is his chin, without a doubt. Uh, the, The Holyfield comparison, even further for me in that, Usyk is, is is quick. Obviously, he's quicker than Joshua. the The head movement, the just the way that he moves. But as that, one of the things that he did later in the fight was 
his offense became his best defense. Yes. And it wasn't that he was necessarily rocking Joshua. He was just busy. So Joshua had to defend the action. And that stopped Joshua from throwing punches. And he had enough in the gas tank to continue doing that all the way through the 12th round. Uh, there were moments where it looked like he was like he was tiring, and you know there was the, the there was one, one round where I was like, man, this guy's he's either taking this round off or he's hurt, mm-hmm. and then he came right back and 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 it was his fight again. But I thought that was that was a big thing was his, his, he just used his variety of shots, his busyness, his ability to keep uh, keep Joshua playing defense, and, and that that was his best defense because then he didn't have to. You know, take these heavy body shots, and there were some, there were some right hands too that snuck through and mm-hmm. kind of stopped him in his tracks. And I don't even know if Joshua realized it because the follow up wasn't there. But you know, there were moments, there were there were little moments here and there where Joshua probably could have followed up, but uh, but nope. He and and Usyk, you know, he he had the the, the right strategy. Mm-hmm. He was able to to switch it up when he needed to, and ultimately, I mean, he's just he's just an excellent excellent boxer, and and it, it, that that's why it's such a shame that not that many people watch this today because, man, you you you're you're missing uh, greatness, and 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 like, you know, I was I would people would always ask me. You know why? Why? Why are you buying these Floyd Mayweather pay per views? Like you already know what's going to happen. And I would say, well, you know, Floyd's a great promoter. Mm-hmm. You know, he he makes you excited, right? But at the same time, you want to see the greatness. You don't want to take for granted that there's another Floyd Mayweather coming. And I so I, I feel the same thing about about Usyk is mm-hmm. he may be the most. Uh, I mean, I you know you would know better than me as the historian, but. Has there ever been a time in, in in boxing history where the heavyweight champion w- was less known to a, a, a U.S. audience? I, I don't know if the, I don't know uh, when that would be or, or what the uh, well, case. Well, you is. know what? Uh, he's even less known than his countrymen, the Klitschko brothers. That that that's the one that I would have thought. And, and he's, he's less very known much than less them. Known than, yes. yes, yes, yes. And, and it's just he's a, more excited than those guys. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. But the Klitschko's had the advantage. They fought on HBO. Usyk. Yes. But once again, yes. your HBO analogy comes comes to light. You're fighting on the zone where the major audience is in the United States at five, six in the afternoon on a summer day. On a summer day, where people are at the pool, people are at the beaches, people are at amusement parks, people are hanging out. They're not watching the fight. Yeah. All right. While HBO. First of all, this would have been an HBO pay-per-view and it, the fight would have occurred around between 11 and midnight and it would have been behind all the hype. And Lampley always was great at hyping the fights because he's like, oh, these are the two best heavyweights in the world, so forth. Yes, Usyk is the most... He is the most unrecognizable heavyweight champion in my lifetime, without a doubt. Which is sad because he's better than more than half those guys. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and, and, and so this is, this is a great point. I was thinking because obviously he's a he's a smaller man fighting, uh, you know these these three, you know the 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 three other heavyweights, Joshua, Fury, and Wilder are all just giant, yeah, six seven and taller, yeah. And so you know he's having to to fight these guys uh, at a disadvantage for, from size, and in some instances against Joshua, it actually works for him. But 
I don't know if it nece- I don't know if it works for him as well against Fury and Wilder. I think Wilder's I think from a technical aspect it is quite possible that if Yusa could stay away from the right hand that he just gives him a boxing that, lesson. The problem is nobody has even Tyson Fury who if his head's together and he decides to fight is still the best heavyweight in the world. Even he couldn't elude Wilder's right hand in three yeah. fights. Wilder knocked him down four times, and twice he almost died. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You talk about overcoming adversity. Joshua get hit, gets hit with a Wilder right hand like Fury got hit with a Wilder right hand. They're mopping him off, off the floor. I don't know if he can go 12. Or, he could win every Like Luis Ortiz in two fights dominated Deontay Wilder. Both times he got caught, and they had to – caught him out on the stretcher. Yeah, I saw one of those fights. I mean, uh, in in the theater. Uh oh, yeah. I, I do I like watching boxing at yeah. the movie theater as well. It was uh so my wife uh we had just started dating. So this and, would have uh, been the second fight. Yes. Yes. So we went and um my buddy Danny who's who's a big fight fan, he he met up with me and and we watched it and you know the the, the in the theater Everyone was just waiting for him to unleash the right hand. We're like, okay, this is more than likely. Even even as it got later in the rounds, you're like, mm, I still think it's going to happen because he was losing every second of every round. Yeah, yeah, it was it was such a bad performance. And then he throws it, and then it's like, oh my god, it's just it's such, you know it made that boring ass fight you know worthy of the admission. But yeah, you know, a hundred percent. I just I just see Usyk as, as a boxer and go, okay. Who are the who are these other guys who who Wilder's had trouble with, and can he you know is he slick enough to to just stay away the entire time and maybe not because like you said Wilder eventually catches yeah. everybody but I I I would, would be have so been intriguing to- because the stress alone on Usyk's face to try to outbox this guy for twelve rounds you got to fight a perfect fight for him he could win every round and in the twelfth round like uh, Wilder did against Fury he was way behind and he caught Fury and Fury had to do that Undertaker move in order to get back up <laughs> count a nine and a half but I mean and Fury's bigger than Wilder and I don't see him beating Fury also because you saw how when Joshua could bully Usyk he yes. was wearing him down yes Fury did that against Wilder twice and wore him down and he will do all of that against Usyk and Fury's got a great chin I don't see Usyk hurting Fury like he did against Joshua. So I see him losing both fights, but it won't be easy for either Wilder or Fury to beat Usyk. They will be in a fight and Usyk could could, could definitely win both fights. He just have to he'd have to fight a perfect fight both nights. He wasn't perfect in both fights against Joshua, but he's the better fighter against Joshua and he was able to survive. He's got to be perfect against Wild, both Wilder and Fury. It's got to be where they're going, though, right? I know Fury's using his retirements for, for yeah, I leverage. I think he's trying to hype that fight up. I agree. Yeah. I agree with it, you because he didn't give up the WBC title. He was like, uh, I'm going to hold on to this. Make up your so, mind. And it, it pissed me off that he was going to fight Derek Chisora. Why? Another great fighter. One of the poisons of boxing today is these fighters keep fighting these guys that are not on their level. Derek Chisora is a 40-something-year-old punching bag. Why are you talking about fighting him for a third time? He beat him twice already. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if we think Usyk and, and Fury, not not that it's going to be easy because nothing is ever easy, right. but where does Joshua go? 
The biggest fight in the heavyweight division in America that will make a ton of money is Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder. Even after Joshua lost twice against Usyk back-to-back, that fight would be a mega fight in the United States. It will sell out whatever. You could put that in a stadium in the United States. It would be Dallas, Texas, in my opinion, would be perfect. Or Wembley Stadium in Mm -hmm. England. It will sell out. It will do huge business because you got these two guys that are both vulnerable that if one guy's winning, the other guy could still knock him out with one shot. Yeah. That fight, that's the biggest heavyweight fight, even more so than Usyk versus Fury. Because Usyk versus Fury would be great internationally, but still in the United States, it will not do the numbers that a Joshua Wilder fight would do. So I, but, if but I was we, Joshua, but, I'd get that one last paycheck. Joshua's made a lot of money. He made $40 million tonight. Joshua's <laughs> made, I believe, anywhere in the uh, vicinity of $250 million in his career. So and you know he's well spoken. I could see him easily so being a color commentator, or or he's already began managing boxing. He's he, he's managing one of the best cruiserweights in the world today in Lawrence Acoli. So Joshua's after boxing career is already set. If he wants to cash out, fight Deontay Wilder. Both men respect each other. Both men like each other. That fight could easily be made after but, Wilder but, mops up Robert Hellenius in a few months. But we've also been talking about this fight being made for like seven years. Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But right now, um, after after Wilder beats Alanius in a few months, you know, if unless Yusuf gives up the WBC title, and you could even have Wilder fight Joshua for the WBC title if uh Fury is serious about his retirement. If he's not, that fight that could be I hate to use this term, but that could be like an interim WBC champion waiting for the winner of Usyk versus Joshua. And then you could have like an unofficial tournament right there. No, that's a, it's a great, it's, it's, it would be really good for the sport too, because like we're just talking about how no one even knew what was going on with this fight, mm-hmm. at least in the U S and I'm sure in the UK, it was, it was a really big deal. Right. And, and just by the look of the building and everything. You, yeah, it was it, because it, it, was. it was on pay-per-view in, um, you in the UK. Yeah. Uh, but, it, they 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 need something for for here, and I think Joshua and Wilder would definitely be it. And uh, I think people would get excited for it, like they've been excited for the last several years. And then it wasn't going to happen. And then Joshua gets beat by Ruiz. And mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. you know Joshua it, had been sort of in the driver's seat, but he's not in the driver's seat anymore. I don't think uh, unless. This is an Eddie Hearn uh, masterpiece here, and no, and he's, he's, he's able not, to, to he's get not, some leverage. His biggest his biggest payday left is against Deontay Wilder. If he's not going to fight Deontay Wilder, then he might as well retire. He's made plenty of money. I and still he still wanna, has his faculties too. Still so. has his faculties, and there's no bigger fight in America. This is bigger than Spence Crawford. This is bigger than Triple G Canelo. This is bigger than any other fight that you could make in America right now. You're talking about the most Dominant heavyweight since the uh, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson era in Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua, two guys that the casual fight fans will come out to see because they're both home run hitters. They love yeah. to see home run hitters. But OK, so how does the Bob Arum, Eddie Hearn piece fit together? Well, you talk about with, with uh, who I, Oh, is, oh, isn't, isn't isn't Fury Fury's a, Fury's with with Bob Arum? Yes, Fury's with Bob Arum, and Usyk is with Eddie Hearn only because he had to, he had to to get the shot against um, 
Joshua, I don't know if he's still with Eddie Hearn after this fight. He could be a free agent. I'd have to look into it. And then, and then, who's behind Wilder right now? Like, who? who oh no, who he's is... still PBC because he's going to okay, he's going to be right. fighting at the Barclays Center in October. There we go. And that's a PBC card. Which will okay, be that's that's the that's the other piece. And how to Hearn? It's gonna be it'll be Hearn and and and, and Matro. But let me tell you something: if Joshua and Wilder want to fight each other, then they will force Eddie Hearn and Al Heyman and company to come to a, a, an agreement because there's too much money. In that fight, there's too much money. Both these guys are going to make 50 mil plus for that fight, without yeah. a doubt. With the gate and the pay per view revenue, that's a huge fight, and it will sell out wherever they want it Wembley Stadium, or, or it, to me, it would either be Wembley Stadium or what's that, ATT Stadium in Texas. Mm-hmm. I think those are the only two logical places to put that, that fight. Okay, on the next segment, we will be doing more. Uh, I will be back with the recap of the Showtime and ESPN cards also held Saturday night. All right. And and thanks to Garrett, as I said earlier, the Ron Darling of pro wrestling combat sports announcing. The man is a phenomenal analyst, and I look forward to doing the Patreon show starting next, this weekend coming up. As we review the first two episodes of the controversial Julio Julio Hulu series on Mike Tyson. Um, each week, Hulu will be showing two episodes, and the following Saturday or Sunday, Garrett and I will be reviewing those shows, and ladies and gentlemen, exclusively only on Patreon. So go into the link if you want to hear our thoughts on the Mike Tyson Hulu docuseries and ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to sugarcoat shit. You know, I call it like I see it. If it's bullshit, I'm going to call bullshit because these guys cannot tell me anything about Mike Tyson that I haven't known. I went to see Mike Tyson fight four times in 1986 at Madison Square Garden. Right. So if I see the bullshit, I will call it. All right. When Mike Tyson turned pro in 1985, I was 16 years old. All right. Now on to the rest. Oh, um, real quick. So that you, in order for you to hear those, once again, I want to reiterate for for you guys, listeners that are interested in hearing Garrett and I's uh, review of the Mike Tyson Hulu docu series. Sign up on Patreon. Matter of fact. The best way to do it, ladies and gentlemen, so you don't get charged a week for an entire month, five dollars for an entire month. The Hulu series begins August uh, 26, 25th. If you want to, and this is what I would recommend, sign up September 1st. That way you get uh, a full month of Patreon uh, exclusive uh, content, not only with the docu-series coverage of the Mike Tyson uh, Hulu series that Garrett and I are covering, but also my greatest upsets in boxing history. The latest one will be coming at probably already out as you hear this podcast, Junior Jones historic 1996 upset of Marco Antonio Barrera. Um, And that's a series I'm doing the 10 greatest uh, upsets of all time. That's one of six I've already done this year. The other five being 
Roberto Duran's shocking loss to Esteban De Jesus, November 1972. Alexis Arguello's shocking loss to Villamar Fernandez, summer of 1978. The fall of 1986, Lloyd Hunnigan's shocking upset of Donald Curry. January of 1994, Frankie the Surgeon Randall's shocking upset of Julio Cesar Chavez. And June of 1988, Iran Barkley's shocking upset of Thomas Hitman Hearns. And now on to the rest of the show, Saturday Night's Recap. Let's start with the Showtime card. Um, the, the opening was Brandon Lee versus Will Madera. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Lee, yes, he's a tremendous puncher. But there is an ongoing theme that I will be talking about right now right now with fighters on both the Showtime and the ESPN card. The lack of defense. The lack of mother effing defense. These guys are going at it. Brandon Lee, yeah, he throws a nice jab combination, but he is susceptible to a right cross. Brandon Lee reminds me of a young Arturo Gatti, and that's not a compliment, ladies and gentlemen. The man is going to be exposed when he fights an elite boxer with angles who makes a miss all night long right now brandon lee's 140 shakur stevens is 130 if they fought in a couple of months after proper training shakur would eat him alive because brandon lee has no defense whatsoever and you saw in this fight he gets caught in the third round by a spectacular right cross that uh Madera hit him with, and he was knocked out, out on his feet, and he was lucky to survive. Now, credit to Lee. He overcame that knockdown and dominated the rest of the fight to win a lopsided decision. But the man's defense is putrid. He's He was knocking people out, people left and right. He's stepping up his competition. Soon, he will be counted out. The minute he faces somebody at 140, like a Gary Antoine Russell. Remember that when, if and when they do fight down the line. Um, Omar Figueroa's people should be ashamed of themselves. Omar Figueroa was supposed to fight Adrian Broner. Broner at the last minute pulled out, claiming mental health issues. Um, Omar Figueroa has been going through mental health issues. Ladies and gentlemen, I think there's a trend here. If you notice the Adrian Broner's the Omar Figueroa's of the world that are now suffering from mental health issues. And I'm not denying they're not. They are. I think you have to combine them having some issues growing up with the addition of CTE. Adrian Broner has suffered a ton of punishment since getting his jaw broken by Marcus Madonna several years ago. All right. Broner took a, a punishment against Pacquiao. He took punishment against Porter. Adrian Broner hasn't beaten anybody significant since getting wiped off the map. Wiped, wiped I mean, Madonna beat the hell out of him. That was a one-sided beating. And Broner took a vicious beating in that fight, and he's taken beating after beating since. The only guys he's beaten have been um, glorified Uber drivers. He hasn't beaten anybody significant, never beaten an elite fighter. Don't give me that four-title bullshit, right? He's never beaten a great fighter, and he never will. He needs to retire. No need for him to step back in the ring. He's done. 
Omar Figueroa needs to retire. He took a beating against Sergey Lipnitz, a one-sided trashing. He should have not been allowed. Broner versus Figueroa should have never been sanctioned because neither fighter belongs in the ring ever again. No, forget it. They, their skills are shot. Omar Figueroa is a walking zombie. Adrian Broner throws three to five punches around. Those guys don't belong in the ring. Sergey Lipnitz, they, I mean, I don't rank this victory. He got knocked the fuck out in his last fight against Boots Ennis. He's back down to 140. Don't be surprised if you see Brandon Lee versus Lipnitz. That would be a great test for Brandon Lee. And Brandon Lee will take some punishment in that fight. And um, that would be an exciting fight. And you could add uh, you could add more CTE to, to, to Lipnitz's head. And um, Brandon Lee will continue that Arturo Gatti trajectory. He's going to be an exciting TV fighter, but never a great fighter because his defense is lacking. Kudos to Hector Garcia uh, showing that the Chris Colbert win was not a fluke as he outpointed Roger Gutierrez easily to win one of the fraudulent sanctioning body world titles at 130. Look, Hector Garcia, nice fighter, good fighter. He ain't got a shot in the world against Shakur Stevenson, right, at 130. If they ever make that fight, (laughs) Shakur will win every second of every minute of every round. That being said, congratulations to Hector uh, uh, Hector Garcia. Now, on to the ESPN card. I don't discuss clown shows. So as far as Nico Ali Walsh's win over another uh, Uber driver, have fun because that motherfucker's a fraud, period. End of story. Now. Another fight where you had no defense whatsoever. You had uh, two fights where the guys that won the fight have no defense whatsoever. Before we get into the ESPN main event, I will talk about the fight that happened before that. Uh, Santayon. 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 Giovanni Santayon won a 10-round decision over Julio Luna. All right? Luna hit Santayon too many times. Santayon. Yes, he's 30-0. Yes, he's an exciting fighter. His punching power is overrated and his defense is not lacking it's severely lacking he will get his ass handed to him at 147 at 147 pounds you have to be a great fighter to be a world champion Santayon don't don't be surprised if when if and when Josh Taylor moves up to 147 that they put him in a ring with Santayon being that they're both top-ranked fighters Cause that will be a not only an easy win for Josh Taylor. It'll make him. It'll make him look. Oh, maybe he's got a shot against the Boots, the Errol Spencers, and the Terence Crawfords of the world. No, no, no. And Santayon is a walking punching bag. He got hit way too often 
against a fighter who's not that good in Julio Luna, another guy who doesn't have punching power and doesn't have any defense. Speaking of no defense, speaking of no goddamn defense, Emmanuel Navarrete against Eduardo Baez for the first five rounds was getting his ass handed to him. Baez hit him at will, gave him angles. Navarrete has been wanting to fight Shakur Stevenson. Shakur Stevenson will put his, will end his career. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not understand that you cannot be a horrible defensive fighter and stand a chance against Shakur Stevenson. Oh, and yes, Navarrete knocked out Bias with a devastating left hook to the body in the sixth round. But for the first five rounds, he was getting tagged at will by Bias, who's not a pimple on Shakur Stevenson's ass. Ladies and gentlemen, boxing is about hit and not get hit. The casual fans out there that are listening to me, I, since day one, since 1977, when I was first introduced to the sport of boxing by, 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 by my late and beloved father, he schooled me on hit and not get hit. And he and when he when he saw me have my eyes lit up again with, with guys that, that gave action packed fights, he said, Yeah, that's a great fight, but their career is not for long. He said the same thing when he first saw a Turo Gatti fight. Uh, boom boom Mancini, Bobby Chacon, he told me those guys, they're when their careers are over, they're gonna have some mental mental issues and they're going to have some issues dealing with women. Bobby Chacon beat his wife after he retired from boxing. Arturo Gatti beat his wife so bad late one night in Brazil in her hometown, had her out on the concrete floor. And the next morning they found his, uh, uh, they found his body hanging from the ceiling. A well-deserved death, by the way. Anyway, Navarati, yes, he's a tremendous uh, offensive fighter, but his defense is severely lacking. He will get mopped up the floor if Bob Arum ever puts him in the ring with Shakur Stevenson. It'll be such a brutal beating that he will never be the same. Remember that when they do fight, all right, because I will remind all of you, especially those who think Navarati is this great fighter. No, he's a good fighter with good offensive skills, but I will never consider a dude like him, like Brandon Lee, like Santayan, great fighters, because defensively they are lacking severely. Now, on to my weekly historical retrospective, my countdown of the 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a uh, the series, the entire series up until number 12 is on fightgamemedia.com, series of articles. I am doing an audiobook session since number 45. I'm up to number 26. Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, my 26th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. And I wrote. The first time I saw a Roman Gonzalez fight, I was amazed how such a petite boxer with, a, with an angelic demeanor could fight like a demon inside the ring. Once I found out that he had been mentored by the greatest boxer 
to ever hail from his homeland of Nicaragua, I understood why. Alexis Arguello, Chocolatito's idol and mentor, was the epitome of a cerebral assassin. While handsome and gentlemanly outside the ring, Arguello inside the ring dissected you behind a wicked left jab and pulverizing power from both hands. The man we would affectionately call Chocolatito possesses similar traits. It's one of the many reasons he's my 26th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. After a sensational amateur career in which he reportedly went undefeated in over 80 fights, Chocolatito turned pro at the age of 18 on July 1st, 2005 in his hometown of Managua, Nicaragua. The five foot three Nicaraguan youngster won his first 12 fights all in Managua as a 108-pound fighter. Chocolatito then moved down to 105 pounds and nine fights later received a shot at the WBA version of that world title. Chocolatito travels to Japan to fight to face the Japanese world champion Yutaka Nita on September 15, 2008. The 21-year-old challenger completely dominated Nita with his signature aggression and pressure from the opening bell until referee Mark Nelson called a halt to the fight with about a minute left in the fourth round. It would be the beginning of as dominant run at 115 at 115 pounds and under that any boxer has ever had. After three successful defenses of his 105-pound crown, Chocolatito moved up to 108 and on October 24, 2010, destroyed Francisco Rosas in just two, one, two rounds to win the WBA Junior Flyweight title. He would decimate his first four challenges before he would engage in what up to that point was his first major challenge. On November 17, 2012, at the Los Angeles Sports Arena, Chocolatito defeated future Mexican multi-world champion Juan Francisco Estrada in a hotly contested 12-round fight. Estrada was the first fighter who was able to stand his ground and have success countering the incredible pressure and volume punching of the great Nicaraguan fighter. Even though he lost, I could see that Estrada was going to be a future great world champion. I also knew that eventually these two greats would meet again. Immediately after his win over Estrada, Chocolatito once again moved up, to, moved up a weight class, this time to 112 pounds. After four devastating wins in a row, the now legendary Nicaraguan fighter would once again travel to Japan to face the reigning Japanese WBC and ring flyweight champion Akira Yagashi on September 5, 2014. In what I consider Chocolatito's greatest performance of his career, his head movement, constant pressure, and wicked body punching was just far too much for Yagashi to deal with. After Chocolatito dropped Yagashi for a second time in the ninth round, referee Michael Griffin mercifully stopped the fight. Chocolatito was now a three-division world champion, matching his former mentor and countryman Arguello. It would also be be the beginning of the now 27-year-old becoming an American television star. On May 16, 2015, Chocolatito made his HBO an American television debut. You couldn't act, have asked for a more ideal debut as he destroyed former Mexican world title holder Edgar Sosa in two rounds. The American fight fans finally got to see what I had seen for several years, that Roman Gonzalez was not only the best-kept secret in boxing, he was also the best fighter in the world at that particular stage of his career.
After two more scintillating defenses of, of his 112-pound world title on HBO, Chocolatito would win his fourth world title at 115 when he defeated the always difficult Carlos Quadras, Quadras on September 10, 2016 to win the WBC Super Flyweight title. This was the first fight in which I saw that Chocolatito had maybe lost a step as he was hit far too often by the tough-as-nails Mexican champion. The slippage would be, would be fairly obvious in his next two uh, bouts. On March 18, 2017, I attended one of the greatest fights I've ever seen live. Chocolatito made the first defense of his crown versus thigh power puncher Sir Cat Sorungvisai. The thigh challenger shockingly dropped the Nicaraguan great in the opening stanza, and a clash of heads in the third opened a huge gash above Chocolatito's right eye. Despite the knockdown and nasty cut, I thought Chocolatito had done more than enough to win a decision. A shocked Madison Square Garden crowd saw Song right Rungvisai win a highly disputed decision, which ended the Nicaraguan's undefeated streak after 46 fights. Then came the rematch. On September 9, 2017, the two faced off in a highly anticipated rematch in Los Angeles that was once again aired on HBO. Chocolatito looked listless from the opening round and saw Rungvisai completely dominated him. In the fourth round, the thigh, champion, the thigh champion dropped Chocolatito with a beautiful left cross. Chocolatito got up on very unsteady legs and then walked into a spectacular right hook that resulted him in crumpling to the canvas in a heap. Referee Tom Taylor immediately stopped the fight. It was at this point in time that I wished Chocolatito, now 30 years old, would retire. I felt he was done as a great fighter. The Nicaraguan legend would eventually prove me wrong. Chocolatito returned to the ring exactly a year later. After two feel-good wins, he fought WBA Super Flyweight Champion Cal Yafai on February 29, 2020. Yafai was a slick boxer who many ex experts claim would finally put the iconic Nicaraguan into permanent retirement. I, too, was very skeptical of Chocolatito's chances at turning back the clock. That night, he did more than turn back the clock. The 32-year-old Chocolatito put on a vintage performance as he completely dominated the 30-year-old British champion with his signature pressure head movement and fero ferocious body punching. Just 30 seconds into round nine, the resurgent Nicaraguan landed a booming right cross that dropped Yafai for the third and final time. Referee Louis Pavon finally called a halt to the fight, and Chocolatito was back on top of the world. As soon as COVID-19 restrictions were lifted, he signed to fight the WBC champion Estrada in a rematch nine years in the making. I thought this would be a fitting end to an incredible career. Once again, Chocolatito proved me dead wrong. On March 13, 2021, the rematch between Estrada and Chocolatito was an absolute war. Despite being 33 and in his 53rd pro fight, Chocolatito showed the exuberance of a fighter 10 years younger. He forced the counter-punching Master Estrada into a phone booth war and, in my opinion, was the deserved winner of the fight. Unfortunately, two of the three official judges saw Estrada as the winner. It would be the second time I felt Chocolatito had been denied a decision he more than earned. We are still waiting for the rubber match between the two men. Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez has done something his mentor Alexis Arguello attempted twice and failed both times.
to become a four-division world champion. He has also carried himself in the same manner as Aguayo did, with the utmost dignity and grace. It's been 13 years since Aguayo was mysteriously gunned down in his home while mayor of Managua. Were he alive today, he would undoubtedly have nothing but for admiration for the man he once took under his wing. With his 50-3 record with 41 knockouts, Chocolatito has survived his standing as not only one of the greatest athletes ever to come from Nicaragua, but also the 26th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Ladies and gentlemen, before I sign off, there's a very interesting fight this Saturday night, August 27th on ESPN. You have two 140-pound contenders, Jose Pedraza fighting Richard Kami. The winner possibly in line to fight Josh Taylor for one of his world titles. I'm going to make a shocker here, and I'm going to predict, and now my uh, prediction streak is over. I had predicted Joshua would beat Usyk. Usyk beat Joshua, so my undefeated streak for 2022 is no, no longer. And now maybe I, I might be starting a losing streak because I am picking Comey to win by either late-round knockout or decisive decision over Jose Pedraza. We will, we will find out Saturday night if I'm wrong or right. Until next week. Ladies and gentlemen, be blessed and be a blessing.